When we moved from Aruba to Sweden, we weren't really sure what to do with our home in Aruba. We didn't want to sell the space that had so many memories and offered us a place to stay when we returned to the island. But what else could we do after moving internationally? That's when my husband came up with a brilliant plan. We can become hosts on Airbnb. Since starting this, I can officially say my husband had the best idea ever. The process of getting our property on Airbnb was so easy. We were able to ask other hosts for tips and got a lot of great feedback. And actually, we still get tons of good feedback and we're constantly improving our space. And Airbnb is really flexible. You just choose the dates you want to host. So if you don't have a full-time rental property like us, that's perfect too. Hosting on Airbnb is great for anyone who frequently travels or has the extra space or has a seasonal house or even someone who always goes away at the same time of year for family traditions or work events. We all know the cost of living is excessive right now, so you can get more out of your space when you host on Airbnb. The added income has been so important for my family and has given my husband a project to manage that he genuinely enjoys. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Yoga Girl podcast, Conversations from the Heart. I'm having one of those moments right now where speaking from the heart feels equally important as it does challenging and overwhelming. Man, being a human being right now is is rough. It's rough. It's rougher in some places than others, of course, but for all of us, I, I really believe so for all of us, wherever we are, this is it's it's a tough time to to to, to be alive. Now granted, has there ever been a time where there wasn't a tough time, where there wasn't challenges, where there wasn't yeah, yeah, who knows? But I am sitting here right now in my podcast chair, looking out at a beautiful sunset. The sky is it's like a dark, deep blue and with rays of orange and some purple and golden, you know, that golden shimmer that comes right after the sun has actually set. And I can see the frozen lake in front of me and my favorite pine trees swaying a little bit in the breeze. And if I just look around me where I am, just where I'm sitting in this moment, looking at this view, sitting in this chair, see my tea table in front of me. Leia is in the kitchen <laughs> eating dinner while watching a movie. And if I just hold this moment, everything everything is so peaceful. Right, if I get deep into the present, if I just anchor into my breath and I hold the space where I am here now, there is peace here. And I'm so grateful for that. And I'm not taking it for granted. It feels really fragile, this peace. And I'm trying to move through my day in this way. I, I find myself being pulled into this place of, of suffering and despair and overwhelm with what is happening in this world at a level that feels 
I'm trying to, I've been really trying to define why is this moment now feeling somehow more urgent for me personally. And I think this is the case and it's this unfair thing that is absolutely happening now where for the first time in a really long time, there is a war, there is an injustice happening that actually threatens the safety of people in the Western world, right? This is something that it's actually active and, and, and a problem for and threatening for, for the West, for Northern Europe, for the States, for Canada. I mean, it, we're seeing this in this kind of sense, so it suddenly feels scary and, oh my goodness, but I mean, come on, there's conflict like this and war like this and military strikes and air raids. I mean, this happens all the time. But because over the past couple decades, at least, these things have been happening in these kind of isolated continent or isolated parts of the continent. And it's been conflicts that hasn't felt threatening to the West in that sense or to the majority of the world. And also, let's face it, the media has a big, big part in how these things have been portrayed and and generally what unfolds in countries that have populations that aren't white, right? They don't get, doesn't get shared in that same big way. And it's so fucking unfair. It really, truly is. It really, truly is. And I'm trying to hold all of these pieces at the same time. You know, the pain of the Ukrainian people and and, and, and holding them in my heart and feeling for them and taking action for them while also holding the contrast for, well, where was all this action when this was happening in Syria, for example, right? Where was all this action when it was happening in Palestine? Where was this action when it was and is happening in Venezuela? Where was it in Yemen? Where was it in Afghanistan? I mean, it's, it's infinite, right? And it's, 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 it's hard. Right? It's hard to sit with the injustice of this. And I speak to friends who have heritage from these other countries where these things happen and they've happened recently and it's been just as bad. Right? We, we can't put people's suffering and war on a scale right? because for human beings, loss, loss for one person right, is, is that whole entire person's life. We can't put a put it into graphs and put it into flow charts and like show that this is a worse thing than this because suffering is suffering and it's unjust when it happens to one person it's unjust when it happens to many it's unjust regardless of where it unfolds in the world and it's really hard to sit with it's really hard to sit with the state of the world in general it really 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 is and when i talk to people who come from these other places like I have friends who I have a Palestinian friend. Um, I have a family friend of one of my best friends who's from Kurdistan or who's Kurdish. And the pain, totally the pain of watching how the world now cares oh so much, right? Oh so much. I mean, cares to a level of like the whole world is is taking action in different ways. Every nation is involved. And it's like, where was this when it was about them? You know, it wasn't there. And how painful it is to watch this unfold while also feeling this massive sense of compassion and pain for what's happening in Ukraine. And it's just, it's really hard to be with all of this. You know, I think, 
for me personally, I, whenever there's a crisis, I get really involved. I feel really involved. You know, I talk about it on social media. I donate money. And then generally it kind of ends there because I feel like that's the extent of what I have been able to do. You know, living in Aruba, everything was always happening so far away because Aruba is a tiny island and it's always far away from everything. And Dennis and I have always been, we were always in service in some way, right? We don't talk about it all the time and it's not like stuff you put on social media, but those are the kinds of lives that we live and always have, right? Which is why I've founded three nonprofits in my life and you know we we do we do a lot of work but in terms of these big conflicts in the past couple of years it's really been that's been the whole extent of it for me it's been talking about it online sharing about it on instagram reading about it in the news researching you know and then donating the money that i can donate and then eventually, and usually it's pretty quickly, that spike of a crisis. And it's like, oh my God. And there's another hashtag. And we're always praying for something, right? It's pray for this, pray for that. And we get really involved and our hearts bleed. And then there's like that the spike kind of dies down. And it's hard to pinpoint the moment of that happening. But the, the crisis online, at least, or from far away, looks like it's ended, right? It looks like, oh, that was a rough time when that happened over there. But it's like, for the people who are actually going through that crisis, it's barely begun, right? The extent of trauma and suffering that they have to go through, it's like, that's just started. And those people don't, they don't cease to, to need the help of the world just because the excitement around it or the drama around it or the media around it suddenly has, has gone away, and for me now in this moment, I'm in Sweden now. I mean, we live here now. So I feel I can help in a different way now because I'm in, I'm on the ground in a sense, except I'm not, but you know, there's going to be a huge wave of people coming here and we know that they're already coming in and Sweden generally has very open borders. And I have this feeling of like, okay, I can actually do more than talk about this online and donate money. I can't. Like I, I can, I can mobilize and take action in so many different ways. And I have, and I started doing that. And there's something about, you know, just stepping in or propelling yourself into some kind of action that just feels so helpful. You know, if I compared, if I compare me sitting here now talking to you compared to last week's podcast, exactly one week ago, one week ago, I felt completely shaky I mean, you could hear it in my voice. I was crying on the show. It was just, oh, I felt so vulnerable and raw and scared. And the situation now, of course, it's worse because it's been a week of this war getting to, what is it, nine days now? No, 10. Damn. It's been a while of this now. So, of course, the situation is worse and the suffering is more now than it was on day one and day two. But somehow, I think, from my own nervous system, taking action and feeling like I'm doing something, it's really helpful to stay grounded in a way. And I have Ukrainian family, so I have this, this heartbreaking, 
you know, ability to really be with people, to, to hug people who are really going through this in a way that I can never in a million years imagine. You know, it's like how, you know, we have so many, so much family and friends of family and who are still, who, who are there. And people I talk to every day who are terrified for their, the, the lives of their loved ones. And I keep asking, like, but why didn't they leave? You know, and I was talking to someone today or a family friend today. And I asked her, you know, why they, everybody kind of knew this crisis, it's coming, right? The war, it's going to happen. And she said, well, you know, it sounds easy from over here. You know, there's war coming, there's crisis coming, your safety's threatened, just get out. But if you have spent 400 years of your life, like that, this family has spent 400 years in the same place. This is, the whole community is your family, right? This country is your home. Leaving isn't an option, you know, it really isn't. And this is something that only people who come from war-torn countries or countries that have experienced a lot of conflict can really understand, right? That if, if you leave, you might not ever return or there might not be that same reality to ever return to. And then so many people now have had to make this decision. Am I going to leave my husband behind? Am I going to leave my dad behind? Am I going to leave these men behind and leave? Or do I stay and we stay together? I mean, and I'm trying to put myself in that situation of if it was me and Leah and Dennis, and Dennis can't leave. He has to stay. He has to stay and fight. It's like, would I take Leia and leave? Literally leave? Go to another country far, far, far away, not knowing what kind of reality I'm leaving him in? Or would we stay together as a family and, and ride through whatever comes? You know, it's really an impossible decision to make. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks. So just imagine what you could do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. I have always loved learning languages. I speak four fluently. They're so interesting. And I've even noticed that sometimes the language you speak can influence pieces of your personality. Learning my husband's native language made us understand each other on a whole new level. Now Babbel has gifted me my own account and I can't wait to dive in. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you actually start speaking a new language. It's designed by real people for real conversations. And their advanced speech recognition is like having your own personal language coach to help you improve your pronunciation so you can get prepped and confident for real-world conversations. Just 15 hours with Babbel is equal to one university semester. Overall, they have more than 13,000 hours of learning content, and you can browse more than 20,000 courses offered every month. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash yoga. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash yoga, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash yoga. Rules and restrictions may apply. 
I think because I have the proximity to so many beautiful Ukrainian people in my life that I get to talk to every day now, I it it puts the it puts the conflict somehow in a really heart open place. I, I and I think this is if you're listening now and you're like I feel despair, I feel hopelessness. And somehow we try to shelter ourselves a little bit more from the pain and from the suffering. And because, of course, we do that. We can't take in everything and all the time. But for me, speaking with people who are actually dealing with it somehow is grounding because it's that it's that human heart to heart connection that reminds us that this is not just like some machinery happening over there. I think we get really scared when we feel distant from the scary thing too, right? I, I don't know if I'm making sense now. So even if I'm speaking to these people about their fears and we're crying together and it's horrible and there's a falling apart there, there's something about being human beings connecting together in that place of, of, of crisis that brings us back to earth somehow that unites us in a way that can only happen when you have your arms wrapped around that person, right? It does, it can't happen in the same way online. Online, it's, it's just the imagery, it's just the fear, it's just the super terrible, violent stuff. I guess what I'm trying to say is if you have the ability to go be with people who are dealing with this themselves, meaning... Ukrainian folks in your area, in your town, in your country, in your city, who are right now, you know, going through this from afar, if you can go and be of service to them, which I think you totally can in so many ways, I think it's going to bring a sense of grounding and a sense of action to everybody, you know, because it's going to make them feel and make them know they're not alone. And they're not just supported with the idea of support from afar, but they're supported here, you know, with a hug, with touch, with presence, you know, really total presence. There's a different feeling to that. You know, we can actually help people ground and settle their nervous systems in a way by just being there, like a hand on someone's shoulder who's going through something traumatic. I mean... It can be totally life-changing. It absolutely can. Having someone hold space for you and be present with you. And I'm wondering how many Ukrainian families have that now, you know. So just talking about being of service in a way, there is, we have to start thinking about service in a different way. I, I really think so. I, I think we have to de-dramatize it somehow. You know, it's not like the idea of like volunteer work and be a good person, you know, do the good thing and you get a cookie later or pat yourself on the back for like doing something good for someone else. It's, I think living a life of service means literally that it ceases to become stuff you step out of your life to do when there's a crisis and it becomes just how you live. And really what that means is living with a really open heart. And I think the very thing that is making you feel so overwhelmed and freaked out and panicked right now is the same open heart 
that is going to help ground you back into your body and that is going to help people who need help right now. That's going to help make a real change in the world. Because we can only do that from that feeling place, right? From that reminder, it's like the pain that, that, that we're all feeling now, knowing that this is unfolding over there. It's, it's the pain of, of, of unity. It's the pain of connection. It's the pain of oneness. And it's the pain, you know, it's the same thing that is unfolding every day, but we're not present enough to actually feel and acknowledge it. So if we're in that place now of just big fear, you know, big, just holding on and gripping and tension and, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, that can, at the drop of a dime, be flipped into a feeling of big connection. And in some way, I really think that's kind of the purpose of what we're all supposed to do now, standing on the outside of this conflict, feeling like we can't do anything and we're powerless and we're hopeless and it's far away. And it brings us this big sense of terror and then we can't really do anything. It's like the moment you take all of that and you connect with a person who is actually in it, right? Whether that's taking in a refugee, helping someone, like volunteering, receiving people at the borders, connecting with families who are dealing with this from afar, actual families. It's, it's, that's where it is, right? That's the service. The service literally, the service literally is the, the humanity of giving someone a hug when they're going through something challenging. The service is dropping off some food to someone who probably is way too freaked out and panicked and tired to cook, right? Like that's the humanity. That's the everything. And um, I'm sitting with this now also, you know, every day over the past yeah every day I have <laughs> I have been in the presence of a Ukrainian person every day since I recorded last week's per- podcast just there's a Ukrainian community here um, and my dad's wife's Ukrainian and of course through her network and family there's a big Ukrainian connection here and I can sense this and I don't know if it's a Swedish thing a little bit it's a Swedish thing I think I can sense this there there it's almost like there is a challenge to really be emotionally present with someone who's going through something traumatic, right? Because it requires, it requires this vulnerability, it requires this intimacy. And I think Swedish people in general aren't the best at public displays of emotion. I mean, I can pretty confidently say that Swedish people kind of suck at that. I mean, I think... What's what I can see now, especially in Sweden, it's very Swedish to like mobilize and do something and get stuff done and logistically help. But the actual kind of crumbling and falling apart and vulnerability and the feeling of it, which is where where the really big healing is also, it's hard. You know, it is hard. It's hard for everybody, I think. And I think some countries and some people are a little bit more rigid and and Sweden is one of those places where it just, you know, people kind of keep to themselves a little bit more here. I was talking to someone the other day. They were asking me about the difference between American people and Swedish people. And I said, well, like, if there's an American around you, like, you're going to know because they're going to come up and talk to you. And like, 
wherever you are, if there's an American person like um, traveling or something, like you're going to know because they're going to be like, hey, you come here often? What's this? And have you been here before? And nice to meet you. And like just there's this American way of like talking to everybody all the time. And it's very unswedish. And I talked to, to Dennis about this a lot too. Like it's a very Caribbean thing to 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 connect with each other and to talk to strangers and to like, yeah, everyone. It's just, it's the warmth of that, I think, in a way of that social that social warmth that Sweden doesn't really have. I think probably from, you know, millennia of, of being freezing cold, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's just holding that peace, that, that service can be just being presence with someone, being present with someone like that is being of service too. And we, we have to start, stop looking at it as, you know, how can I help? How can I help? How can I help? How can I be of service? And just hold the fact that it's just being a human being. It's letting your humanity come through. And every conversation I've had with someone from Ukraine this week, and it's been, I've spoken to people, I mean, I speak to people all day online, DMs, emails, on the phone, um, organizing and mobilizing a lot of different stuff just in action in that sense, but also just like giving a person a hug who needs it, you know. And every single moment I have of just genuine connection, I can sense that, that this is the difference made. And of course, it's also the money donated and it's also the logistical stuff. I mean, of course, because that's so, so, so needed. But I can kind of, I, I, I can feel this, that the difference made between a trauma that is insurmountable and a trauma that you can eventually work through, right, is, is with someone there to hold you. Were you in the cold? Were you in the dark? Were you left all alone? You know, did you feel totally left immobile in the situation and there was no one there to pick up any pieces for you? And I think we all have this innately human, beautiful ability to just be there for someone else. And not just for people from Ukraine right now, but everybody all the time, all the time. So in essence, you know, living a life of service really is living a life of vulnerability. It's living a life of compassion. It's living a life of allowing yourself to be deeply present with people in the midst of their big emotions, you know, that we, that we practice not shutting down, that we practice actually stepping in to, to, to hold people who need to be held. And it's not for everyone, right? I mean, obviously it's not for everyone, <laughs> but I think it's something that we can practice. And I think this open heartedness that's required to be with someone who's going through something challenging, it reminds us of our own beautiful, powerful humanity in that sense. Bread is life. In fact, my entire family absolutely loves bread. But I like to make sure that what we're eating counts. And if you're like me, you're going to love Hero Bread. Hero Bread makes those same delicious bready favorites free of consequences or compromises. They have remade carby, empty calorie bread products into fluffy, delicious versions that include no net carbs, zero grams of sugar and protein and fiber. Think of that soft, fluffy experience that you love when you're enjoying a refreshing BLT, savory breakfast burrito, or mouth-watering cheeseburger. But now it's made to really nourish you deeply. 
Hero Bread has something for every favorite, including sliced bread loaves, buns, and tortillas. My team tried Hero Bread and said it was the most fulfilling thing ever, but it also felt lighter and healthier. So switch to Hero Bread now and you won't be disappointed. They even have a monthly small batch drops of indulgent favorites like the 2-gram net carb herb croissant or the 1-gram net carb herb cheddar biscuit. Don't give up being a breadhead. Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code yogagirl at checkout. That's yogagirl at h-e-r-o dot c-o. So strangely, I mean, I'm just sharing this to say that personally for me to get out of that place of terror, it's just been going deeper into the personal the personal connections and presence with with real human beings, like making this not a social media thing, not a a war far away, but just being with people. And you can do that today. I mean, 100%, wherever you are, you can do that today. It's like, I mean, I kind of see this also. It's, I've gone through so many cycles in my life of fighting for different causes Right? And, and, and I've gone through different cycles of, of also exhausting myself, fighting for a cause, of having my heart bleed so much to the point of like, man, I'm bleeding out here. Definitely. Like that's how I started. That's how I started my, my life of, of service in that way is that I really felt like everyone is mine to save. Everything that happens in the world is mine to fix. Like every, I can deeply, deeply remember being a child, like being younger than Leia and feeling this, this heartbreak, absolute heartbreak whenever I saw my uncle kill a spider. I mean, I really, I, oh, I can think about it now. Like it was, it was, it was deep. It was scarring to me when I was little. And I have a lot of cousins and aunts and uncles that are farmers and you know, very hands-on and like, you know, and I was kind of like the city kid and I was sensitive and, you know, you just, you do what you got to do. You take care of the animals. And then at the end of the day, they slaughter the animals. And like, that was just life. Right. And here I was, and I couldn't bear the thought of killing a mosquito, killing a spider. And, and I remember like, we used to have this country, country house a little bit further South of Sweden, where we went every summer, spent all summers. And there was this gravel driveway leading up to the house and every time it rained in the summertime, it would pull out these big, fat, like juicy, big, like, ugh, I could just, you, you can picture them, slugs, but like really big ones. And they would come out in the rain, right? The way snails and slugs do. And whenever we would have to drive in and out of this driveway, like it was inevitable, the car would hit some slugs on the way if it had been raining. So whenever it rained, when everyone came inside, it was like, oh my God, it's raining, go inside. I would do the opposite and I would head outside and sit in the driveway with a bucket (laughs) to pick up all the slugs from the road and then move them to the forest and move them to the side of the road and move them to the side of the road. And I would, I mean, and it was kind of this incessant feeling. Like I can see how, how that, that pain, like it, it came from a place of compassion and absolute oneness and this sense of connection that I just always had that all beings, you know, are worthy of a life and no one should suffer. Like I had that, but it also came from the trauma that I had experienced when I was really little. 
right? This feeling of, of, of the well-being of others is my responsibility to hold and carry. Like I felt personally responsible whenever that spider was killed in the house, right? I could have prevented that. I could have helped that. I could have done something, even though I was so little. So it was also this wounding, right? It's the humanity and it's the wounding at the same time. And when I grew older, and I've talked to me and my dad, we're talking about this also now that I have involved him and he's super involved in, in some service projects now, which feels so good to unite in that sense. But whenever, like growing up, so I haven't, I, the thing is, the, here's the thing. My dad is a really private person and I never talk about him on the podcast. I don't know if it, you, anyone can point to like an episode where I've had like a dad episode. I have talked about my mom a lot. My mom has been a guest on the show and, you know, so I just, I, I naturally speak less about my dad just because he is really private. But um, I don't know if everybody knows this, but so my dad left Sweden when I was, I think he started working in the Baltics when I was like seven, maybe six, seven, eight, like that kind of around there, there. And he eventually moved to Latvia, where he lived for a good 20 years. I mean, maybe more. I think the first years was a lot of traveling back and forth. And he built a life there in Latvia and Riga. So growing up, I was always in Latvia. Like every weekend I could go, I would fly. We used to fly me and my brother, you know, when you're really little and you're like, I don't know if I was like maybe nine and he was seven or something like that where you fly alone and you get this little sign you put around your neck to wear that sh that like shows that you're like a kid traveling unaccompanied and someone would pick you up at the gate and then bring you to the plane and then someone else would get you at the plane and drop you at the parent you know the next place we did that all the time constantly me and my little brother and just to go to we get to, be, to see my dad whenever we whenever we could and we would spend summers there and and uh so my dad has uh had two kids um, one with a half Russian, half Latvian girl and the other one with a Latvian girl. So I have, I have siblings who are part Russian. I have siblings who are Latvian. I have two sisters who are Latvian and, uh, my dad speaks fluent Russian. Like he speaks Russian so fluently that, that you would never know he's not native Russian. Like he really is completely fluent in Russian and he speaks Latvian and the whole family does too on that side. So we have this and always have had, and I have had this personal connection to the Eastern European and the Baltic states. And, you know, I, it, it somehow makes, of course, makes this, this conflict feel close to home to me, even though I don't, you know, blood wise, I have no relations to these countries. And obviously not saying that Latvia is the same as Ukraine, not at all, two completely separate sovereign nations but they were both part of the Soviet Union, right? So there's a special kind of culture in the Baltic states and in all these countries after 1991 when the Soviet Union dissolved. And it's really particular. It's really special. There's something to, to, the, to the people that is just so resilient. Like there's, a, there's an energy that, that you'll, you'll never be able to really, I think, understand unless you've spent a lot of time in these countries of of a people that lived through a major occupation, you know, like a major takeover by another nation. It's, 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 yeah, it's what the Ukrainian and Estonian and Lithuanian and Latvian and everybody went through. It's, uh, it's something, you know, 
And it's created a people that is so strong and so resilient. And I mean, you've seen the images, right, of the Ukrainian guy picking up a landmine with like a half-smoked cigarette hanging out of from his lips, just carrying that out into the woods. I mean, this it's hardcore, right? This is like, to me, this is like what a Ukrainian person is. This is what a Latvian person would do. And I don't mean to generalize anyone listening because I hate it when people do that too. It's like speaking about Finland or Norway or Denmark and Sweden as if it's all the same because of course it's super different. But also we are the Nordics, so we are kind of the same, right? It's just that, that feeling. A consistent body care routine is really important part of my self-care. I feel so much better when my skin is looking and feeling good. It's such a small thing that has a big impact on your overall day for your well-being. A consistent body care routine doesn't just promote healthy, glowing skin. It actually boosts our mental health, too. So give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven seaweed-infused skincare that provides results you can see and confidence that you can feel. Osea's Andaria Algae Body Butter is not your typical body butter. It transforms dry, crepey skin to smooth, soft, and supple skin, and it's my absolute favorite. I use Osea's products religiously, and I have been for years. It really is the best out there. One of the best parts about the body butter is that it's non-greasy. I hate putting on body lotion and feeling slippery and sticky all day, but Osea's body butter absorbs right into your skin, leaving you feeling hydrated and ready to make the best of whatever is next on your agenda. And it's been shown to hydrate you for 72 hours after applying. Skin care is self-care, so this is a habit worth keeping all year round. With Osea, you will get clean, seaweed-infused products from a company with over 27 years of experience, making sure they are the safest for your skin and the planet. All of Osea's products are vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out with clean skin and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with the code YOGA at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to OseaMalibu.com and use the code YOGA for 10% off. So growing up and spending so much time in Latvia, there was a lot of poverty. I mean, of course, like the, the remnants of the Soviet Union was that there was a lot of poverty and all of these nations scrambling to put themselves back together. And, you know, it's, 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 it's not been an easy couple of decades for, for each of these nations. And there was always so much poverty. And I, I remember being like nine years old, 10 years old and walking down the street, there was always just an, so many people in need. Wherever you went, there would be people in need, wherever you, you went. And now it's, I don't think it's the same situation now, but this is, what is it? How old am I? 20 years ago. And I would always, like, I would ask my dad for money so I could give money away. I would go to these people and I would want to know, like, what happened? Like, why is this person living in the street? Why is it, it was so hard for me to compute in my little child brain of like, why do, why do I have a bed? And then this person doesn't have a bed. They're sleeping in the street. I, I just couldn't understand it. And for me, this feeling of like, whenever I got money, when I was a kid, I wanted to save it and hoard it so I could give it. And I would, sometimes I would pinpoint like that person I saw at that corner and I would feel something special. For, like I would make a connection with them and I would remember where they were and I would make sure to like quietly try to save some money. I would lie to my dad and I would be like, 
I want to go buy something or I want to get some candy or whatever. And he would give me some money and I would save it, right? So I could go back and find that person and give it. And it was always this, <laughs> it was always this kind of complicated thing, I guess. Once, and he, he tells this story often, once I, I was buying a new Sony Walkman. Who remembers those? It's like the pre-iPod era maybe not even a walkman maybe it was like i think it was one of those early cd players you know it's like this massive circular thing that you couldn't even fit in your pocket but it played cds and you could take it with you which is this amazing thing with these like fluffy black <laughs> headphones and i had asked for one for my birthday or something like that and he'd promised me one and then um, he had a meeting, he had a restaurant back then in, in, in Riga, we were at the restaurant. And I remember like, please, please, can I go buy this thing? Please, you promised, you promised. And he was like, okay, fine. And then he gave me a hundred euro. And I think I was 10 or something like that. And a hundred euro is like, is a fortune. I mean, it's a fortune, it's a lot of money now, but like for a 10 year old, it's like, whoa. And uh, it's like, okay, yeah, this is all I have. Okay, go to the mall. Cause there was a mall around the corner in the old town of Riga. It's still there. And go to the mall. You know, it's on this so-and-so floor and just, you know, buy the thing and then come right back. I'm like, okay. And I go and it's winter time or close to winter time. And right outside the mall, I'm so excited for this, for this Walkman thing I'm going to have. And I, and I, I even remember he had one of his best friends. <laughs> this is like giving me a memory. I just, I'm just unpacking was the sweetest guy ever. And he would make me these burnt CDs like he would ask me, oh, he was so sweet, so kind. He would ask me, like, we would talk about what kind of music I liked. And he would burn these CDs that he would write, like with a marker, like for Rachel on, that I would take home and listen to. I mean, how sweet is that? And I was so excited that I would be able to like listen on the plane or listen in the car, you know, because that was a big deal back then. And I get to the mall and right outside the mall is a woman sitting, not fully like not clothed for the weather like she didn't have a solid big jacket like I remember it was cold and she was kind of wrapped in like a sheet or like a really thin kind of blanket and I remember stopping like oh oh you know I just I just felt for her right away and then I go a little closer and she's holding a baby and in that moment I just I just remember like this was like this was a no-brainer to 10 year old Rachel it's like I gave her the 100 euro and I remember her face, like I really remember this so clear, her face, like, like hesitating, you know, looking at me like, what? You know, like I was a child, imagine, a lone, blonde, like Swedish kid just approaches you and gives you a hundred. I mean, it's like weird. I remember her like hesitating, like not taking the money, you know, and I was like reaching it, like, take it, like it's for you, take it, take it. And she took it. And then I remember I had to, I didn't know what to do because I, I, I imagined my dad would be upset, you know, like I was supposed to spend the money on something. And then, so I kind of lingered at this mall and I was thinking about like, hmm, like, what am I going to do now? And <laughs> I think I was scared he would scold me or something, you know, and I went back and I didn't say anything. I just went back and I sat down and he was like, so I, can I have the change? And I was like, oh, there wasn't any change. He's like, there wasn't any change? Like, what kind of Walkman did you buy? Like, what? And I'm like, I, I gave it away. <laughs> and he was like, you gave the, the Walkman away? No, I gave the money away. <laughs> like, what? To whom? 
what to you know and he had no idea like did i was it a stranger on the street that he i think he thought like someone had tricked me that i was like vulnerable and someone had said something and i was like no no this was just like it was the person who needed it he was like okay well you're not getting you're not getting another hundred you know i'm like i know i i get that like i got that you know oh, there's these stories i miss latvia those days where it's such a beautiful country but i think back at these times of you know like how how is it and i think for most children like we have that in us that of course we want to help right i mean leia like for her it's like the most automatic thing ever if she sees someone crying she walks up to them to comfort them right if someone has lost something like yesterday she was she met a kid at the store and they had lost something on the ground and she's like on the floor looking for this thing crawling in this dirt place and I'm like, Leia, Leia, like, this is a strange person who lost, like, you know, it's like a kid thing. You get involved and you can sense, like, someone needs help with something. Like, you go help them. And then somehow the older we get, the more we lose sight of this innate connection that we all have. That when one person suffers, I suffer. And we cut ourselves off from that. And I think I have kind of gone through these cycles for so long of wanting to help in a major, major, major way. And I go into something like like launching Sgt. Pepper's Friends. I mean, for a long time, I've been so passionate about rescuing animals. And for me, it wasn't just, let me do that thing on the side. It's like, okay, we ha I have to make this a big thing. We have to do a big organization. We need a shelter. We need this. We need that. And then what I would kind of do is I would burn out from it a little bit. And that's exactly what I did with the animals. I mean, that organization is still running. It's running amazing and saved thousands of animals and I'm so proud of it but I am not as involved anymore because I would start and kind of go 100 miles per hour and saving every animal I've ever seen that needs help and then it's like okay well it's 2 a.m and I'm face down in the mud digging for a puppy and I haven't slept for seven days because we have 16 dogs at our house I mean that really happened like that was <laughs> like I'm fighting with Dennis all day long because like I'm like he thinks I'm losing it it's like killing our relationship you know like I would go into that and then it's like whoa this isn't good for me this is I'm 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 going too far now I'm trying to save everybody why what's happening I can't save everybody it's 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 hurting me and then I would step away and then I would step away and then I almost like I would close myself off a little bit and all of a sudden, I wouldn't find as many animals anymore. And that's kind of how I think in a way service works is that when you see, like when you get really involved in animal rescue, as an example, and you start to see and notice that there's a lot of animals in need, all of a sudden, they're going to show up at your doorstep. It's like you're opening your energy to every animal that needs help. You're going to see way more animals in need than a person who has their energy and their hearts closed to that. And when I kind of close off a little bit, it's like, oh, I'm burning out here in the animal rescue world. Like I'm totally burning out. And then all of a sudden it's like, I'm not seeing as many animals anymore. And I would tell Dennis, like, I really feel like the situation has improved. And he's like, you're just not looking for them anymore. And in a way I, I wasn't. Hi, Leia. There's something I need to tell you. What do you need to tell me? I, when you're done with your pie, I'm going to show you how to make something. You're going to show me how to make something? Today. Today, when I'm done with my pod? Okay, I'm just going to finish the podcast. Yeah, but when you're done with the podcast, I'm going to watch the movie. Okay. So I could, so, so I could, so I could do it. Okay. That day today. 
Okay, that's today. Okay, can you close the door for me, please? Yes, sir. I... And take Ringo with you. Ringo, outside, outside. So that's kind of the thing. I think we do all or we go to nothing in a sense. It's like we either open our hearts all the way and then it, it hurts too much. You know, it becomes too suffocating. It becomes too painful. It becomes too overwhelming because when, we're, when our hearts are open to the suffering, it's like the suffering is everywhere. It really is. It's almost like you're a radar for it and you just see it everywhere. So I go through these waves of that, you know, and then I get really involved in another cause and I had to start another organization for that. Like I got really, really involved with the idea of creating experiences around service and the idea of, of doing retreats, which can be really lucrative financially and, and doing them for a purpose to raise funds for something, right? So I co-founded another organization just for that and I went all in and poured all the money I had and time and energy into this big organization to do these big things. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait, like I, I didn't have time. I didn't have enough time in my day to do the for-profit stuff that actually I needed to do to generate the life and the support that I needed to give that I kind of burnt out from that, you know, in a sense. It's like, okay, I have to step back from this now and I have to focus over here. I have to focus on the business so that we can actually keep the organizations running, right? And that's kind of what happened there. And then we had this and it is I mean I feel like I'm I'm therapizing myself right now and then right around that same time there was this really intense situation that happened in Aruba with two kids and uh, child abuse I'm not gonna give any more details and my heart split open in a million pieces to the point of like I couldn't sleep couldn't function couldn't comprehend couldn't make sense it was in our community. It was like right next to Leia's school. It was this big, terrible thing happened. And I'm like, okay, well, this can't happen on my watch, right? So I launched another foundation, which became Yoga Girl Foundation, um, and aimed to help women and children in need, right? And it's like, <laughs> put everything I had into this foundation. All, I mean, everything, 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 everything. And then burn out at the end of that. You know, because it's kind of like we have this limited amount of space. We have this limited amount of of emotional presence we can pour into something. Of course, we have a limited amount of time and money. And for me, when I look at my own past in terms of how I've always been of service, it's been like all, like as fast as I can, as much as I can, as hard as I can to mobilize for something. And then I've exhausted myself to a point of like, I need to step back a little bit here. And with Yoga Girl Foundation, that happened right at the beginning of the pandemic. So it was a good time for the foundation to rest, which it's it's happening now. It's not closed or anything. It's just we did the service with all the funds that we had then, and now it's resting, so which is really good. And And now it's like, okay, here I am in Sweden, able to help people, able to house people, able to, and I'm catching myself in this place of, I really want to be of service in a sustainable way here. I don't want to start another big crazy initiative, you know, that that then kind of burns me out because the pain of it is too much or it takes over in this big way. But I want to find a really grounded, sustainable way to help. And what would that look like? And now it's like this week, what I've been doing is sitting with Yoga Girl Foundation, which is an active foundation. I mean, not a sleeping foundation, but it's, it's, it's present that I can wake up at any moment to actually receive funds in a really structured way. You know, we have people there like ready to go, ready to be of service. 
Um, we've been able to secure housing here for people as they come in. Um, we're working with a lot of different projects around how to help people in the best possible way, right? And I can really sense this this balance of of needing to 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 ground into yourself as you help. This balance of being present with the people, right? That heart-to-heart connection of reminding yourself that here, these small acts, that is also the service. You know, it doesn't have to be starting a nonprofit organization from scratch and then spending three years pouring everything you have into that and doing the crazy legal work and hoops and the amount of people and staff that you need to run that. I mean, that's a crazy thing, right? But service literally is the moment that you look another human being in the eyes and you're there for them. And we need to balance these big sweeping acts that come along with the spikes of the suffering with the day-to-day presence of just being a human being with a heart that's open. And it's good to remind ourselves that we don't have to do everything all the time and we can cycle through as well. You can have a moment of like, I'm going to go all in here for these people or for this cause. And then you have completely the right to step back and take care of yourself and ground back into you so that you have something to give. And I can really see in my own past how my challenge has been the all or nothing. It's like my heart is either wide open and then it kills me, right? Like the amounts of tears I have shed over suffering, of of being on the ground with someone, of being with a family that's suffering through abuse or being with kids who've gone through something really terrible or being with the animals who have been through something really terrible. It's like there comes a time where my heart just, couldn't take it, right? I can't talk about this pain anymore. Can't talk about the suffering anymore. It's almost like I'm traumatizing myself being a person who wants to support because I'm immersing myself so much in this pain. And then all of a sudden it's like, no, I have to step back. I have to step away. And then I have to close my heart a little bit, you know? And there is an in-between space, or at least there is a learning to be present in that pendulum swinging between open and closed and open and closed and letting your heart bleed and then shutting down, right? Because I don't want to live in either of those places all the time. I don't want to live a life where I'm shut down and I'm ignoring it, which I see a lot of people do now with this, with this war as well. I see a lot of, yes, spiritual, I'm using air quotes, people like just focus on love, love and light. Just people are telling me, well, why don't you, like, why aren't you organizing a big, like, unity meditation? You should focus your work where you can do the best work. And it's like, yeah, I can do that, but I don't think my best work is going to be meditating right now. I mean, we all should be meditating, like, for sure. I probably will do something or a live or something like that, but that I don't really don't think I'm going to make the best impact for people in need by sitting here in meditation. No, <laughs> that's just, I don't think that's true. And hearing people say like, don't lower your vibration and, and don't watch the news. It's like, fuck, man, you need to watch the fucking news. Yeah, you do. You don't need to drown in the news. You don't need to wake up and go to bed with the news. You don't need to look at every horrible image, but you need to know what's happening because otherwise you're bypassing. Otherwise you're leaving people out in the cold. Otherwise you're closing your heart off from your own humanity. And that is not a sustainable thing to do. That is not a loving thing to do. But now there's that and then there's the other end of that spectrum, which is letting your heart crack open to the point that you don't know how to put yourself back together again. 
And then the fear, the panic, the overwhelm becomes so big that it becomes challenging just to take care of ourselves. And how on earth are we going to be able to take care of other people who need us when we are so busy trying to take care of ourselves because our nervous systems are shot and we can't sleep at night? You know, we have to find or do our best to find an in-between or at least let that pendulum swing between closing off for a bit and then opening back up and then stepping back into something solid and then opening back up and letting yourself move in that continuum. Like you don't have to save the whole world. You don't have to really save anybody, but it's your responsibility as a human being to be a human being, right? To keep your heart open and feel and take action where you can take action. And that includes knowing your limitations, right? I feel really proud of having started so many big initiatives. And I did that because I could, right? Because I was privileged, because I had social media, because I could rally donations, because I could get a lot of support from people using networks. Like I had a lot of abilities to do that. So I did that. And Sergeant Pepper's Friends lives on as the greatest thing I've ever founded, I think, my life, one of the greatest things. And Yoga Girl Foundation, which I've been like, oh, when are we when are we waking back up here to take action again? And I think the time is right now. And that feels good too. It feels good to do something. And I was sharing that. I shared a post on Instagram yesterday, just having the realization that we don't have to carry everything, but we need to carry some. And I think that's what I'm getting at here. And also what I'm learning. I'm not sharing this as some like, perfect philanthropist over here getting everything right it's like no you know we carry some we take care of ourselves we take care of others we carry some as you might have heard in the background there um leia (laughs) leia is ready to show me something very exciting it's also almost bedtime so i'm gonna tend to my little one over here and um i hope you're tending to yourself alongside with everyone else you're taking care of right now because chances are it's a lot and it is a lot so I love you I might be sharing some ways to be of service alongside with me here with the really specific projects that we're doing here in a little bit Um, so keep your heart open (laughs) and I'll see you soon Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoy the show, make sure you listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes of the Yoga Girl podcast, Conversations from the Heart. Available now for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, and wherever you normally get your shows. Thank you to my sponsors. Make sure you support them the way they support this podcast. This was a presentation of Cadence 13 Studio. I'll see you next week.